Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back, everyone, to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis, Clinical Nutritionist for BN Multi, and today I have with me Carolyn Ladowski from MTHFR Support. Welcome, Carolyn. Hi, Jackie. Great to be here. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here as well. And yeah, to explore this genetic mutation and your role as far as supporting these glitches with uh, nutrition and solutions for something that's quite widespread but heavily unknown, would you agree? I would agree. Yes. And it's something that we really have to spread the word that, mm. you know, everybody should be listening out for this and at least know whether or not they've got the gene because it's really significant as far as fertility goes, as far as cardiovascular health goes, as far as detox goes. And so we'll t- I'm sure we're going to get into that. Yes, we will definitely. And so MTHFR, it sounds a bit kooky, but and it sounds like something else I know. Tell me a little bit about that. What does it mean? What does it stand for? And what does it mean to you? So MTHFR is a very long-winded, or, or it's actually the shortened version of a very long name for active folate. So it's methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. And that is a gene that encodes an enzyme that makes active folate. And so your active folate is called 5-methyl-tetrahydrofolate. And so I was just going to say, so when you know that someone has what we call a polymorphism, which is a change in the gene that we expect to see. So when you're talking about genetics, it's important to realize that we don't tend to say mutation anymore, but it's the easiest thing for people to understand. We say polymorphism. And that means that there is a change to what we expect to see in the DNA-based change. So in the case of MTHFR, we have two key polymorphisms that we primarily look at because that's where the research has been over the last few years. And so the the, probably the one that most people would understand is the uh, C677T. And essentially what that means is that a cytosine in the DNA base has been changed to a thiamine. Okay. And so we get a base change that affects the amino acids and that then causes a reaction. Now, with different mutations, you can have different reactions. So in the case of MTHFR, it is a down regulation of the enzyme. In some mutations, you get an up regulation. In some mutations, you get a deletion. But in the case of MTHFR, we get a down regulation. So the amount of active folate is not being produced that should be. And the key thing to remember with that and what it means to me is that I'm looking at a timeline in people's health history of where we may have got what we call an expression of the gene. So Mm. the gene has actually the polymorphism or the mutation has expressed and it's caused an adverse event. So that That could be anything from childhood trauma. It could be acute stress, like the death of a partner or a death of a loved one. It could be chronic. So chronic stress over many, many years because stress, number one, chews up a lot of these methyl groups 
that we expect that methylfolate to make. And so stress, environmental toxins, you know, it could be mold exposure, it could be Lyme, it could be gut infections, anything can cause that to express. And so what I'm looking for is, okay, when did that happen? How long ago? And what is your genetic susceptibility? And then therefore, how do we get you back to square one? So I imagine when you say this, I imagine like an old fashioned switchboard where we used to connect telephone calls. And I imagine so with this genetic mutation kind of quietly bubbling away maybe in the background is when the switches are all off and then someone makes a phone call one day and that would then switch that on and turn that gene on to actually start to implicate health. Is that my visualization is that something that rings with you yes it could it, it definitely could i i explain it to my patients is that you've got a production company and your production company is your folate pathway and at the end of that production company what do we expect you to be spitting out it's methylfolate mm. you've then got a courier company which is really your b12 and a couple of other enzymes that then picks up that methyl and puts it into a cycle where we create, and then I, I think of Sammy as our pharmacist. So I explain it. You've got a production company and that's your folate. You've got a courier company and that's your B12. And then you've got the pharmacist who sits there, needs to give out the methyl goods and that's Sammy. Right. And so if we do our evaluation and say, all right, where are you falling down in the biochemistry? Is your production company really under-functioning or are you producing enough and it's sitting idly at the station because your B12 is so low, got an inhibition of that enzyme that picks up the folate and is your poor old pharmacist sitting there saying hey guys I need the goods but I don't have any and I think that's really what we're trying to so your analogy in terms of a switch happening is fine but I think you have to think that it can be chronic and so it can be insidious and long and so it doesn't happen necessarily like that but it can it absolutely can if it's an acute stress fascinating that you think these external forces are impacting on the way we actually function so you've got your production company your courier and your pharmacist someone's being let down along the way how do we notice this in our lives what sort of things would we be looking for if we were an mthfr type what expresses what do we look like well jackie there's up to 65 percent of the population have a an mthfr polymorphism that's huge isn't it that's huge it's not a well-known thing and 65 percent of us are affected exactly and i think what's happening is if you had asked us 40, 50 years ago, is it a big problem? Most people would say, no, it's not really. But what's happened since then that has made it a bigger problem? I think there's multifactorial things. One, my personal point of view, and there is a little bit of research to suggest, but it is something that I truly want to research going forward because I think it's a big issue, is the fortification of foods with folic acid. My personal point of view is, and there is a bit of research to support it, is that originally folic acid fortification was there to allow poorer communities to get a bit of folate and stop neural tube defects. Mm. And that was very sound advice. That worked. Did it decrease neural tube defects in those communities? 100% it did. But 
as we've gone on and more and more foods are becoming fortified, we are getting a much bigger load than was ever expected. And that main enzyme that is meant to use folic acid gets inhibited at a certain amount. Mm. So if you consider someone is taking a multivitamin, multivitamin with folic acid, then they're having fortified breakfast cereal with folic acid. They're having sandwiches for lunch because by law, all bread flour has to be fortified with folic acid. So if you have a sandwich or a piece of toast, you're getting folic acid. Anything in a packet, if you see folate on it, it's folic acid. And so we're getting this overload. And the research tells us that only 200 to 300 micrograms this enzyme can cope with. The guesstimate by researchers is we're getting a thousand micrograms. So I have this theory that we are inhibiting our good folate by having so much folic acid. Mm. So that's number one. And I think we've also got a lot more toxins in the environment and we've got a lot more stress. So the load is there at many different levels, which is if you, let's say you have two copies of the MTHVR gene, which means you're homozygous and you got the mutation from mum and dad, your down regulation of that enzyme is up to 60%. Some mm. researchers say 70. So let's take the scenario that you had your husband die and you've been just coping, but you've been keeping yourself fairly healthy, fairly restricted because you knew that you weren't quite well, but you coped. That massive stressor would turn that gene on to the point where you deplete your methyl which is what we need. That's what the SAMI is. That's what the pharmacist is waiting for. And all of a sudden, you've got a bucket with a huge hole in it and only 30% of your folate staying in that bucket. But because you're super stressed and you're using your methyls, your ability to fill that bucket up, it's gone. And the longer it goes, the more you go downhill. And what would you expect to see in someone with an empty bucket of folate? So the stress response is over-exaggerated. Your Mm. ability to cope with stress is very, very small. So you might have a lot of anxiety and you might have depression. The things that the pharmacists need to work will slowly go downhill. So your hormones, your neurotransmitters, your fat metabolism, your ability to detoxify, your energy cycle, your sleep cycle, all of these things start to slowly get disturbed. And one of the biggest, I guess, alarm bells for me in the beginning was, is there a family history of cardiovascular issues? So for example, heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, etc. Is there a family history of miscarriage? That's a huge, huge red alarm bell that perhaps there's a problem because we know how important folate is for fertility. So there's a lot of things, but I think the biggest is just that ability to not cope with everyday stress. And you often see people who control their environment so amazingly to the point they might move to the country so they have no outside stresses just so they can survive. Interesting. So they, it's like this slowly, like they talk about a frog in hot water, slowly, slowly turning up the temperature and doing so at a pace where you kind of just adapt, adapt, adapt until you are living your life in a way that you think you're just making choices, but it's a coping mechanism. So maybe not taking as many risks or maybe choosing a job that's not too stressful. 
So you can see how that would totally turn your life into something completely different. Is it a life sentence? What do we do about it? It's not if you know about it. And that's mm. what's really exciting about what we do. You know, people come in and they're, they're, I've had people who have had 50 years of depression and we've looked at their genetic susceptibility and literally in six weeks it's gone. Wow. They've tried every antidepressant known to mankind. We get people who unfortunately have had six, seven and eight miscarriages mm. come in and fall pregnant naturally when they've been told by the, the IVF specialist they're never going to fall pregnant. So I, I think it's not a life sentence if you know about it. The really exciting exciting thing is there's so much you can do to make up for the gene and that's where this whole new medicine of you know understanding your genetic susceptibility is so powerful because if you know that you've got a deficiency in that folate bucket and you can successfully keep filling up that bucket and slow down the leakage for want of a better word you don't have to try too hard anymore all of a sudden you cope with stress all of a sudden your mood improves all of a sudden you're detoxifying better so the sentence i guess is that you've got to always make sure that you're allowing for that genetic deficiency. Mm. As long as you are, the risk goes away. The pain goes away. Mm. The, the ability to, to not cope goes away. And that's where it's so powerful. You've just got to understand your genetic susceptibility. And that means, I, there's a great analogy, Jackie. And I think this is the best thing. It, let's say you're driving down a freeway and you're in an old, an old bomb and you've got huge potholes in your lane. Now, it doesn't matter if you've got a new car, an old car, whatever car, driving over those potholes is going to ruin the car eventually. Wheels are going to come off, suspension's going to go, it's just going to get trashed. But if you plug those potholes in, then the old car will still toot along really well. Mm. And so I liken that genetic susceptibility in that we are plugging up the potholes. And as long as we do, you'll tootle along fine. Yeah, correct. So and it's maintenance and... It's knowledge and, and I'm knowledge. so lucky we live in a time where we just go and get this tested and yes. then we know what to do. And I think that's the beauty of this more personalized and tailored nutritional kind of understanding that we just didn't have access 20, 30 years ago. That's and imagine, right. you know, so many people living their lives in this way, not quite being able to put their finger on what's going on. You can see it in family groups. And like you say, history of cardiovascular disease, mood disorders, that sort of thing. What would you do? Like you've got someone who is tootling along, as you say, look at their kind of family picture and can see these things existing. Would that be a time you would explore getting the MTHFR test carried out? Yes. So if, the, if they just ca came and wanted a preventative, I don't want to end up like my family, then yes, you would certainly do a, not just MTHFR, but you would be, do a whole genetic profile that is related around the biochemistry. We're not talking about the rare diseases that exist genetically we're talking about the wider biochemistry you know how do you how do you detoxify what's your folate cycle like what's your methionine cycle like what are your b12 genes doing what's your SAME capacity all of these things help us decide so i would say yes let's do it mm. and let's see where your genetic susceptibility lies correct and if, if someone comes in and they're already sick and they want to explore, normally I would know by now what pathway is out of whack because I can ask enough questions. So mm. if they say,
say, do I need a genetic test right now? I might say, no, not necessarily. We'll see how we go. I do like to see MTHFR because if they're homozygous, it means I've got to, I've got to put a lot more folate into the bucket than I would if they're heterozygous. Right. So I like to be able to see that to gauge where I should go with it. But essentially, I'm happy to go without the genetic test unless we hit a block mm. where we go, no, there's a lot more info I need here. That's a great methodology of just exploring as you go along. So looking at, you know, this new understanding, it's 65% of this population are affected. I imagine there's not a huge percentage of people who are aware. Looking at it from a weight loss surgery patient's perspective, you know, they a lot of them have the mental health picture. Obesity uh, and cardiovascular disease is in the family history. Then fast forward to a weight loss surgery patient who has the surgery, remove that intrinsic factor that helps to carry the B12, look at, you know, poor supplementation after surgery. You could see how this could really be impacted by, you know, the far-reaching effects of nutritional deficiency and weight loss surgery, as well as the different form of folate that could be supplemented with. So as far as that obesity mental health picture goes, do you think it's something that could be better explored for our community as well? Oh, 100%. Mm. I think when you're talking about any surgery to the gut, the biggest issue you get is you get an immediate stop of that train. There is no train moving folate. There is no SAMI. The farm is sitting there with nothing Mm -hmm. and so I think there's the potential hugely for health to go down very fast so b12 supplementation becomes a massive massive importance post any surgery I think if we take a step back and and look at fat and weight gain as a whole I think methylation disturbances have a huge impact on fat metabolism. And we often see that with some of our patients, if we just optimize methylation, then the weight comes off Mm. because I don't know how in depth you want to get with the biochemistry, (laughs) but phosphatidylcholine is essential for fat metabolism, but you can't make phosphatidylcholine from phosphatidylethanolamine unless you have the methyls from SAMe to donate. So if you've got a disturbance in methylation, you've got a disturbance in fat metabolism. Now, so we often, we, we've actually just put on a fat metabolism specialist. That was my next question. <laughs> yes, because we find that probably, I would say 80% of our population of our patients do really well when we address methylation. Mm. But the other 10 to 15%, maybe 20%, there's something else going on. And when you, they, they don't lose weight, what happens is they gain weight. Mm. And my personal point of view is that's a toxicity issue and we've got to address that separately. So we've just put on um, another practitioner who is going to really look at the genetic susceptibility and look at the methylation disturbances that cause this weight gain when you address methylation because it's more than just putting the nutrients in and that works because 80% of the time it does. Yes. But in that 20%, you get weight gain. And that for me has been something like I'm such a stubborn bastard. If you, <laughs> you, if you, if you give me a challenge like that, I'm not happy until I, I find the answer. So yeah. we've, we're really exploring that now um, and just seeing if we approach it from a rather a toxicity level, because think about all those endocrine disrupting hormones, mm. all those pesticides, all those fungicides. If methylation isn't working properly, you're getting the deposition into the fat cells. Yes. 
steps, you're getting a change of the fat profile. You're getting bigger fat cells. So our theory is if we work on the detoxification of those toxins, then you get that release of the fat cells because you're getting the toxins out because they've mm. got to be stored in fat. Yes. So I and think... Yes, exactly that. And when you look at a post-bariatric surgical patient dumping and releasing so much fat so quickly, which is the ideal outcome for these people. But imagine all of that endocrine disrupting stuff from our environment is actually trapped in fat cells. So a lot of the women in particular talk about emotional outbursts, heavy bleeding, weird old periods, all sorts of, you know, estrogenic issues in that Mm. first stage where they feel like they're you know really some of them do feel a bit unhinged by it all where it's just that external dumping in of into the system of the rapid fat loss um is there something that could be done in that stage do you feel as far as really helping that process along I think you've got to do it before. Yeah. I think you've actually got to look at the detoxification and the methylation before you have the surgery so that the recovery is better. Mm. And I would actually like to say that if you address that before, you may not need the surgery in the first place. Which is my whole reason for raveling this whole topic because I do feel that there's so much we could help beforehand but also if it has been done and the surgery is taking place to support those processes going forward so many of our patients suffer with depression and anxiety and then couple that with b12 deficiency after surgery iron deficiency it's just a whole conglomerate of things that will point towards a you know not an awesome health mental health picture and looking at that again, the antidepressant medication, which further depletes folate. So try that. Like you're just a a depleted folate state, add in a medication that further depletes folate and then hope for that to go well. Yes. And then think of just the loss of serotonin production because of, you know, what's going on in the gut. 80% of your serotonin is made in the gut. If you don't have serotonin, you're going to be depressed. Yeah. So nutritional support. And feeling, yeah. So I think nutritional support, neurological support is absolutely critical to go into any operation. Mm, Absolutely. And it'd be great, as you say, to, to actually not get them to go to the operation in the first place. Yeah. So I think, and and it is very sad, I think. I think this is my whole thought process with this folic acid. You know, I, I really believe it is inhibiting many of these methylation pathways that mm. we really need, whether it be fat gain, whether it be depression, anxiety, chronic fatigue, multiple chemical sensitivity. I think it's a real problem. And so the form of folate, I guess, is what we're looking at. So the main stream and the food fortification is folic acid. What do you use in place of folic acid um, for an MTHFR patient? So we actually created our our own brand of MTHFR multivitamins. So that's on our website, mthfrsupport.com.au. And we created a multivitamin so you've got folinic acid Mm. which is a a metabolically active form but it's the 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate that is the most active that's what your body really needs to create so we've we've um, created multivitamins and b vitamins that use the active forms not the synthetic forms correct what a great idea and B and multi also use the activated forms. And I think 
um, that was kind of something that led us to that was knowing that the folic acid is perhaps for this community, not something that they need more of, but more that activated form so the body can manage it. Yeah. Yeah. And the B12. We've had some patients that we've done nothing but take them off folic acid based foods and they've improved. Wow. Isn't that incredible? And when you look at the standard Australian diet, it's full of bread, cereals, you know, all those fortified foods. Packet, packet, Packet goods. Yeah. anything in a packet so yeah. where can people go to get support they they feel that perhaps this is resonating they're listening to our amazing podcast story here and they think i'm on this i really would like to explore it what's the process what do you recommend they can go to our website we have so much information you do <laughs> mthfrsupport.com.au we have 12 years of information, podcasts, webinars, there's so much information. If they feel that they would like to see our dedicated fat metabolism expert, Mm. they can book an appointment. There's an appointment on the homepage and then they can just inquire and say they'd like to see our fat metabolism expert. Her name is Alex. And so that's one. If they feel like they want to join one of our Facebook groups, we've got links to our Facebook groups. We've got newsletters, newsletter links. We've got what is MTHFR. There's a free webinar where you can listen to that and how it affects you. So there's lots and lots of information or they can call our clinic, Mm. which is 02-9908-1888. And you're Sydney-based. Are you offering Zoom connections and Australia-wide support? I think you're international too, aren't you? Yes, we are. So 100% of all our appointments are done online. Um, We have had 85% online for the last 10 years. And that's purely because we see patients from all around the world. So we've got a huge patient base out of the US and a huge patient base out of Greece. And it sounds funny, but Mediterranean populations have a very high proportion of homozygous MTHFR. And what's really interesting is that when they were looking and eating and being very Mediterranean in their diet, they had no problems. But as soon as the diet changed to a more Western style diet and they're not doing exercise, they're not walking up the cliffs anymore, you know, with their parcels and doing exercise every day, their whole nutrition status, their health status started to change. So it's really interesting to see that. So we have a lot of Greeks that started to come to us because obviously they'd heard about MTHFR. They had a lot of autism in the communities. They have a lot of very sick children. And so we work on, um, we work with them and we've got patients here all around the world. So we decided we were very lucky through the COVID because we already were online. Yeah. Really have to change anything. And that's just because we are are an internationally based, we are the only dedicated MTHFR support clinic in the world. That's incredible so no morphing for your morphing business while you no no (laughs) you'd already morphed we'd already morphed which was so good yeah that is good good. yeah well done and I just yeah would like to say that I do see in our you know database of patients we have so many Lebanese names I just see all the surnames that we deal with a lot of them are ethnic groups who've moved to our wonderful country but are eating our wonderful food that's probably not as suitable for their genetic predisposition yes exactly exactly right taking them out of their normal you know and it is something that is through our ancestry i think we just 
credit our links to, you know, our homelands and the food that was eaten there and how it affects our biology as well. Um, but also we're having big discussion in our group at the moment about what is food. And some of our, our members are posting pictures of, is this a healthy snack? And it's, you know, veggie chips and um, <laughs> things like that. And, and just how we've been sold this idea of what food is and mm. how as a consumer, we need to be really careful about what we're being told on the front of a packet. I always talk about marketing on the front and facts on the back to see what's happened to this in loose terms food before it reaches our tables. And yeah, they're a really this week was a really lovely unfolding of what is food and how and actually next week we'll talk about how to read a food label and you know decipher is it productive that I eat this or am I going to put it back on the shelf? Because everything's so convoluted and added to that, yeah, the back to basics is probably something that we would support um, for sure. And and I would just say on that point, you know, try and get back to no packets. Yeah. Like honestly, just make it yourself. It's yeah. A, cheaper. It's B, so much better for you. And if, it, if it, you're not using a paddock packet, you're really cutting out a lot of those additives you're cutting out your folic acid, just make it yourself. And I think that's, you know, when you think about those Mediterranean type communities, they grew their own veggies in their food. backyard. They <laughs> ate fish from the sea. They actually didn't eat so much meat, but yeah. they did eat meat. Um, but they did a lot of exercise walking up and down those hills every day because uh, most of them lived on those steep cliffs. But there was great sense of community. I think we've lost a lot yeah. of that in COVID and I think that's really affecting people. That's why podcasts and Facebook groups and everything, they're so important right now. Yeah, so for I that think, sense of belonging somewhere yeah, to that so social I think that, aspect. Absolutely. Mm. It's mm. really important and getting back to just eating good, healthy food yeah. and, and try, I would encourage you, go to the supermarket, don't buy a packet. Yeah. If you pick up, pick up a packet, my mother used to say, why pick up a packet when you can make it yourself? Yeah. We, as growing up, and I think this is probably why I ended up in the health industry, my mother never bought anything in a packet. She, if we had a cake, she made it. If we had biscuits, she made it. Yeah. She, if we had a scone or a quiche, she made it. There was, there was it's never any question. We used yeah. to swap ours because my mum was the same. <laughs> she was like, if I feed you five children well, I won't have doctor's bills. So here's That's your right. food. How but we used that? to take all the homemade bickies. She used to call them lolly bickies, but we knew they weren't lolly bickies at all. They were real food. And we'd take them to school and try and swap them for the store-bought stuff because we we were just hanging for that. But I can see, and like you, I think that's how I've ended up so passionate is that I can see in, you know, even in the health of my family overall, we're all really robust and we're, you know, we, we can take a knock and keep going. And I think it's that yeah. foundation of food, growing up and exploring and understanding what you're putting in. But yeah, yes. I think I talk about going into the supermarket and doing a U-turn where you go to the dairy, to the deli, and maybe to the meat case and then just get out of there because it's nothing yeah. all the middle aisles there's a lot of traps and a lot of different decisions that you need to be so vigilant and i think yeah with the way even they structure the shelving is just putting things right in your 
eye level. So you have to say no on so many occasions to know this and, you know, take your child to the shopping center and you're just saying no 100% of the time because there's all sorts of traps there. So as far as a willpower and, um, you know, supporting your health and changing your lifestyle to just not go there is probably something that I would encourage. Yes. And look, my, my family's the same. All my kids love cooking because I used to just plonk them on the, the bench yeah. they were little ones and they helped me stir or do so they all they're all grown up now but they love cooking and about seven eight years ago I got a thermomix ah. and it's honestly I just love it because I make all my own pesto I make sauces I make tomato sauce oh, I make stock paste I make soup every week with just fresh organic veggies like it's it's just so good to mm. and it's only my husband and I at home so it's you know it's great to always have a fresh soup or chicken and veggie or something fresh like pesto, that yay. yes I get basil out of my garden so I don't really have a green thumb, but I can grow herbs and things. See, I'm, I and can't grow herbs. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. really good with the herbs. <laughs> I think it just depends on the spot that you put them in. But I get yeah. there's so much basil uh, and it's fantastic. I love homemade pesto. It's the best tasting. And even that, I think we're so, when we're moving away from packets and things that you might buy at the supermarket, if you can just add something that, I think we're so used to that salty sweet or something that they've added in that makes it what we class as food. When we do Mm. peel that back, um, if you can find something that's, you know, as fresh and as alive as pesto or chutney, I love that on omelettes. So you just have, the doors of my fridge are actually just all of our condiments and a lot of them are made at home. Um, But just whipping up yogurt with mint in it or some garlic, that's just, to me that's just, you know, makes the meal rather than adding the salt and the other stuff to kind of make it mcdonald's fied so i think it's I know, something but think that about takes a how while much to... sugar yeah. is in a tomato sauce yes so much sugar. frightening yes and, frightening. You know, exactly but also that's our palate and i think if we can uh, change that uh, out i think it's every three weeks we get new taste buds it's not a long time so there's no. a lot of, you know room to and, and and i think if you do have that really really sweet what i sometimes tell some of my patients to do is half and half so if you make your own with no sugar in it put it into a half a container with your normal condiment whatever that happens to be Mm. and then next time you only do a quarter and yours and eventually over a period of weeks you don't even know it's like weaning kids off milk dairy you know when they're when they're allergic to it yeah just just put your other milk in half and half let them get used to that when they're used to that you make it you know half and that's a good way three quarters and a quarter and and ease it off it's the same when you're trying to wean people off you know three sugars in a coffee if you just said all of a sudden have none they're they're not going to do it but if you said all right instead of three let's go for two for the next month and And then the next month you go for one and then half and then eventually they don't really notice that they've transitioned off the three i'm going to use that that's a pretty good way of doing things yeah it's rather than being so you know do this and change it right now it's like someone who has five coffees a day you're not going to be able to say have none it's impossible so we say all right let's just go for one you can have one but you can only have one yeah and then we'll see how you go from that from there 
I think when you're too um, rigid and you turn things upside down too quickly and too extreme, yes. it's not something that's doable then. And that's what we're looking at is lifestyle change that's doable. So mm, don't mm. try and turn everything upside down all at once. Just do a bit at a time. And, and um, yeah, it's interesting to see how your tastes and your leanings change as things become a bit more vibrant and um, there's more kind of that health picture arising. So we could chat for a long time. I know. Pretty I'm passionate. enjoying this. I'm a pretty passionate about the, um, I think, yeah, just kind of how it's not well known but so prevalent and, you know, so many different problems could be resolved or at least managed um, if we know what to do about it. So I'm sure that uh, or I'm hoping that so many more people become aware and, you know, can do something that's supportive. I think when you're seeing these pictures in your family of different health issues that we just put down to that's who we are, I don't think we're armed with that knowledge that that's who we are, but here's what we can do about it. This is a whole new concept of, you know, this individual and specific nutritional support. And I'm just really excited about that way we can mm. do that now and the research that's being done. Yeah. And my, look, my personal goal in life, it's a big goal, but I need people like you to help me achieve it. But there are 70 million couples that are diagnosed with infertility. Yeah. And if we could just turn around instead of waiting till people have miscarriages and then say, by the way, did you check for the MTH of our gene? We should be saying to every child that is, you know, 15 and above, we say, hey, when you are ready to fall pregnant, you have to check if you've got the yeah. MTH of our gene. Because There's so much heartbreak that's unnecessary. There's so much heartbreak. Yeah, and that's it's, particularly... it's horrific to see some of these women and uh. what they have been through. And it's just not fair. When the information is out there, we just have to get it to more people. Absolutely. And, and yeah, to be of equal for that would be pretty incredible. And we do see that in our community. These women are doing the weight loss surgery because they're infertile as they've been told. Yes. And yes, when they start to lose weight and that inflammation picture subsides and maybe their endocrine system's got a little less chaotic, yes, they, they can accidentally fall pregnant. And we do see a lot of that. But this is also the thinking behind the surgery is, you know, if you just lost weight, you would be more fertile. But there's a whole lot more involved in that. Of course. And then you've got to say, well, why have you got the weight gain in the first place? Yeah, big picture. It, and, and big picture is a lot of people with MTHR polymorphisms have a weight problem. And so if, and again, I think one of the biggest issues regarding weight is remember we talked about SAMI was so important for so many processes. Well, it's also important to get rid of toxic estrogen. Mm. And one of the biggest reasons for weight gain in women, particularly men too, but mostly women, is that they've got too much toxic estrogen that they're not clearing out of the system. And if they did, the weight would come off. Correct. And, and if they so, did, they wouldn't have fibroids or endometriosis. Exactly or right. Ovarian syndrome. And these are all pictures we see all the time. Exactly. Um, and so you need methylation to get that toxic estrogen out of the system. Correct. You do that. And a lot of these women don't have a weight gain problem anymore. Quite and again, incredible. family history is important. You know, asking questions like, does anyone in your family have endometriosis, fibrocystic breast, fibrocystic ovaries, prostate cancer, breast cancer, fibroids? If the answer is yes, well, hello. Yeah, and and you look at, if you look at periods and when they used to start 
the average was between 14 and 16. Now we've got kids who are starting periods at eight and nine. Wow. Because we are so much more estrogenic in our environment. Mm. Every, every credit card receipt you take out of a credit card machine has endocrine disrupting hormones in it. So think of all those people that are working on tills and handing them out all day, every day. Every plastic container we buy food in, if we heat plastic in a microwave, if we drink out of a plastic bottle, we're estrogenizing our environment. Most of the personal care products that women put on themselves are endocrine endocrine disruptions. Machines. And then we add perfume. OCP. That's right. Contraceptive pill on top of that. Then you might add in marina. Um, endocrine loaded IUD into an already hugely estrogenic picture. Like that's right. It's just a cocktail, isn't it? That's a cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. But if we, if the knowledge, and I think you said something so important earlier, it's the knowledge. Mm. I, I, I believe that if we can empower patients to have the knowledge to know what is sound advice and what they need to do, we would have a lot less chronic disease. We have to empower because women are usually the health directors of the family. <laughs> if we can empower these women or these girls to really understand what's important, what do you feed your kids, what do you listen to? What's sound advice? What is rubbish? If you could do that, then I think we would just not have a lot of these issues, chronic health conditions that we're seeing all the time. Fascinating. It's going back and finding the key to unlock the door, like in the um, chicken or the egg. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so happy to have you on our show and I'm sure there's other subjects we could cover at another time. Just preempting that, just put that out there. And, I, um, I, I'm just so I'm so pleased that um, and so appreciative that we can actually give people this information because mm. it is so important. And we'll put all the links to how to find you in our show notes. And um, yes, yeah, certainly I use your website as a reference for you know a lot of patients who call us with tricky questions and that sort of thing. So it's a wonderful platform of information from a practitioner's perspective as well as um, layperson. And I think you've done that really well. It's, you know, you've got different articles and different ways of expressing this information that makes it understandable and Mm. accessible. So good on you. It's taken a lot of time, I'm sure. It has. (laughs) And we, we have, just as a side note, we have a great practitioner mentoring and mastermind program. And we've also got a regular um, institute learning every month. So if any practitioners are listening, want to know how to actually employ these practices in their own clinic for their own patients, that's something else I'm really passionate about because me seeing, well, me seeing one-on-one patients is not going to help treat thousands of people. Yeah. So I'd rather get other practitioners involved in the sort of work we do so that they understand how important that susceptibility is. Yeah. And to so recognize. I'll send you the link to the mastermind yeah, I'd love as that. well. Thank you. You might just find me there. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Thank you again, Carolyn Ladowski. Have You're a most welcome. Thanks, Thanks Jackie. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.